Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Checkity check, check, check. I think we're live. I think we're live. Good. I love it. So, so, <laughs> so, for confidence? so, yeah, I think we're live. I, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, welcome <laughs> to Guys Drinking Tea podcast. We are, uh, as a church community here at South Fellowship, which is some of you and not all of you, we're slowly meandering our way through this book, First Corinthians. Actually, I don't, I don't know if meandering is a fair definition of it. No, we're actually sprinting. Sprinting really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This book. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> And and it's the longest letter that this this writer Paul writes in the New Testament. So so, it's hard to not do. You you're either picking like thirty week series, or you're gonna feel like you're sprinting a little bit. Yep. And I I picked sprinting because I you know I'm 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 a natural sprinter. Um. So so. <laughs> nice. So we, we 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 are in a like the last week before. It all gets a little heavy, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this week on sexuality, uh, and so I've been canceling meetings, burying my head in books, just like, oh my goodness, like how do you talk about this in a non-divisive, healthy way? When in actual fact, maybe it's intentionally divisive. Yeah, and, like, you're gonna have to come back next week for that episode because we could, I'm, we could easily go only into that subject this week. I think I'm going to be in recovery next week. I think I'm going to be hiding under a a, a blanket. Are you or something. are you like canceling our podcast on the no. podcast? <laughs> no. I'll be here. I'll be recovered by then. I'll just take the first 3 days off and we'll do this on the fourth day. <laughs> so but, but it I oh back to the what you were originally saying. There there's this interesting thing. So all right, so well, actually, let me fi- let you finish. And then well, I, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so this this week is this like like almost free space where we've introduced this letter. We've talked about some of the basic things that Paul, um, like where, where what the culture is, all those different the Vegas things. of the art, yeah, yeah. And and then this week in the sermon, I talked about he he gives almost bizarrely these three metaphors in a row to describe this church. And then you double down and added another one. And then Thanks I added another lot. one. I was like just just in case. And then I read an author who had like another five and just yeah. it was metamor- met a Sunday of metaphors. Metaphor like crazy. So that's this is where my comment comes in. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people, the people, a lot of people who like Paul. Pauline literature. They may not say it that way. Yeah, yeah. All, the the genre is letter or um, epistle mm-hmm. or didactic. These are all terms that you would use for the genre uh-huh. of scripture. I think a, one of the reasons a lot of people like that is that it does tend to be a little bit more precise and direct kinds yes. of communication. It's like, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should... Like it, it feels is. a little bit more accessible, and then we run in. So, and then Paul has written the most of that genre, mm-hmm. and so yeah. a lot of people just like Paul because it's a little bit less like 
Whereas you're reading like some Old Testament law book, you're like, feels like a billion miles it away and there's does. gotta be some cultural things and like, uh, and so it's hard to read And then that. you read the narrative sections and you're almost like, for some people, you're like, am I supposed to what? be David or not be yeah, David? Yeah, am or? I supposed to take something away from this? Like it, 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 it gets very complex. So, so I grew up in that church culture where if, if a preacher was preaching, someone might might yell out something like, make it plain, brother. Like it was like that, like, just that like- <laughs> I'm gonna do that this Sunday. Yeah, I think you should like I, make I it plain. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's supposed to be like this encouragement of like, yes, speak the truth. And, and, <laughs> and so I think sometimes we feel Paul does that, even though as we'll get to this week, sometimes you're like, could you make it plainer? Like, could you just- like, Well, I think on the surface, if you're just taking the text like super woodenly, which you can do with some of Paul's writing, uh-huh. it feels like, oh yeah, that sentence made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Done. Yeah. But then the more time you spend with Paul, you start to realize he's got these, like to, to this week, it doesn't feel like that at all. He's no. got these, he's mixing metaphors. He's he's heavily in the metaphoric mm-hmm. language thing and you're trying to get it and the expectation is I'm supposed to be able to read this in my 15 minute devotions get my nugget yeah, yeah, yeah. and then leave and know what to do with it and ooh, and somewhere you realize like, like he's the first guy trying to unpack the church like nobody's ever done this before they've got Jesus teaching they've got the early church experience and now for the first time ever someone sitting down and saying this is what it looks like to be a church. And this, uh, is, this the is who you are. The first, and this too. is the first of the, the first. first. Letter like, yeah, it's, of it's his, as early of as the it first gets. guy. And, and, yeah. it's, and, and, and so for him, what you feel is like he pulls in these things and he's like, let me just try and help you explain. And how often do we do that when we're trying to give instructions? We'll say to someone, oh, it's like this. Oh, it's like that. And that, that in itself is complex mm. because when Paul says God is a judge, does he mean God is actually a judge? Or does he mean one of the helpful ways to understand God is think about the law courts you see. You know what a judge is like? On some level, that gives us a picture of what God is like. But if you take away from that, all I know about God is, is, is that he's a judge. You've missed huge like swathes of his character because even with that human judge, at home he's also a father. Uh, and and he also has friendships maybe or he's married that there's the the term judge does not define that human and the term just judge can never define something as big as god so paul's giving metaphors trying to help people understand but they can never give the whole picture uh, he's just you you feel he's almost wrestling like this is this is. so we actually thought this week so before we do that i just want to check something here cuz it seems like this may have started a few seconds into our conversation. So I just want to check. Oh, do we not have any audio? Oh either? man, we gotta go back from the beginning. Where's our audio? I we love that no... people have seen our animation. We could see we're really excited. We should take this and set like a musical piece over it, like just like some kind of like No audio? Really? Since when? Since when? I'm going to set some Marx Brothers movies over the over the top of it. it. Says on air. On air. What am I doing wrong here? Audio. You are asking the wrong person. 
I'm confused. Hmm. You all hear me? That's very sad. There's no audio. I don't quite understand why that would be the case. Oh, testing. Check. Testing. I don't know what's going on. So you actually, hello, everybody. <laughs> you actually did hear all of this, and now you're hearing us confused at why. <laughs> so actually, the stream started way earlier oh. when, the camp, when the mics were muted. Oh. So they were hearing our pre-conversation conversation. Well, they were hearing it. Or they were no, they weren't it. hearing it. They, they were, were seeing, seeing it. our pre-conversation okay. conversation. If you're oh. Oh. on the podcast right now, sorry, none of this is relevant to you because we'll cut it off. Yeah, genius. The only person who cares is the person who's literally live watching ah. this. All well, right, that's gonna be fine. Moving right along. So where were you? Person. I am sorry oh, for this. I, 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 so I, I was, I was talking about <laughs> how Paul, Paul gives images of what the church is like. Um, what God is like, what he's not trying to do in my understanding is say that's only what God is like. So when he says like God is like God is a judge, he's not mm. saying God is only a judge. He's not saying that encapsulates everything about God. He's saying on a helpful level, when you need to understand an action God might make, this is you've seen this at work. This helps oh. you understand it. Um, so so that that like to me is is that whole realm of how do you understand the Bible? Uh, and given that we've got this grace week in between all of these ethical mm -hmm. imperatives, that just felt like a fun conversation. Like, how do you and I, as just everyday people, pick up the Bible and make sense of it when, especially maybe, especially when it's not just do this action, don't do this action. Uh, and yes. as you said, we tend to gravitate towards. And sometimes even then, just give me an instruction. Oh man! Uh, sometimes even then, yes. like what is yeah? What does that even mean? And so uh, l let's just go, just so you can wrap your mind around. I've got to get my head back in the game. You got it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, sorry, because oh, we're yeah. good. We're gonna, um, I'm going to snap you out of it. I'm going to. I'm going to count to three, just, and you're going to. Just so you can wrap your mind around what we're trying to talk about here is like, let's see the complexity of this. For example, this is Psalm 91, verse one. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Um, the language here in the Hebrew is uh, of a feminine bird. Mm -hmm. So God, yeah. and then later on, under the wings, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings, he will find you will find refuge, his faithfulness, Will be your shield and your rampart. So God is a female bird. Yeah, so it's a, it's a cosmic chicken metaphor. It's, but I mean, like it really is. Like it's like on a. On... I love the sometimes you the way you take like this il illustration and you make it so earthy in like a unique way. It's just so awesome. It's comical. It's, cosmic chicken. It is. It's it's God is a cosmic chicken. Yeah, but that that literally is what he says, and and this just I mean that speaks to the whole like the whole evangelical struggle with we read the Bible literally. So let me ask you, do you, do you read the Bible literally? Sometimes. Okay. And knowing when you do and when you don't is part of like this whole nuance 
half. So, so I would say I read it literally, but I also always read it literally. Yeah, the term that really helped me was the Bible Project. Tim Mackey uses this, this term when he talks about interpretation. He says, we should read the Bible literarily. Yes. So, yeah, I would be trying to say the same thing. Yeah. So, so, so that means that I can read the Bible literally in Psalm 91 and say, literally, God cares for me in this very protective, mother-like way, in a way that I've seen in so many different creatures in this beautiful world he has created i don't read it and the say god has feathers <laughs> or is a female bird yeah yeah because i know what literature i'm reading um poetry so so yeah, yeah so so that that like w what we have done with the word literally is we have literally taken it to mean literally <laughs> so i've been watching I've been watching Parks and uh, Parks and Rec with uh -huh. my wife again, yeah. and there's this character in there. Uh, have you ever watched the show? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He goes, oh yeah. You are literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything is literally. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said literally, literally so many times. You're literally, 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 my favorite. My yeah. favorite. And the Bible is literally true. Um, <laughs> literally. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I couldn't uh, help myself. And so that 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 so so a great parallel passage to Psalm 91 is when Jesus stands looking over the city of Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets. How long, how often have I longed to gather you together like a mother hen gathers its chicks? Hmm. So Jesus takes the image of Psalm 91 and expresses the emotion behind it in a less poetic way, um, more like a simile. I guess, but 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 it, it it gives us the sense of emotion behind it. So so to me, reading Psalm ninety one literally is to find the emotion underneath it, not to find the picture image and say that's that's the focal point. Okay, so how do you know when to do one and when to do the other? When to take the text at its most surface level mm. value and when to. Um, take it as metaphor or something of that nature so so i think so for one we do that almost intuitively with lots of other areas of life so i think probably a lot of people do it a little bit more than they realize um but but learning more about genre enables you to do it better as a starting point so so an illustration of often given before is there's a book that was published in 1997 that begins with the word, once upon a time, there was a princess. Um, now, everything in us tells us, I know what this is, right? Yeah. It's a fairy tale. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, it's like, you know, once upon a time, there was a princess and she lived in this beautiful tower and the problem was her mother-in-law had stuck her up there and she had long hair that she grew. Like, it's, it's Rapunzel, it's Sleeping Beauty, it's all these different things. It's actually a biography of the life of Princess Diana of Wales. So a, a guy writing a historical biography opens his book with the words, once upon a time there was a princess. Um, the, the, the genre that you're actually reading based on those five words, it's gonna massively shift. Depend so, so you're, you're, the way you read that book is gonna massively shift by knowing it's a biography. Yes. Um, now, now, if you'd bought the book in a bookstore, you probably knew it was a biography. 
the the thickness of it, the way it was described on the back, all of those different things, the title perhaps, they all told you something about it. Um, and so you made changes in your assumptions, even though the first five or six words were the same as a fairy tale. Um, so, so, so somewhere the genre matters in terms of how you read it. The fact that you're reading Psalms and you're reading poetry, it actually matters. Yeah. And the, the fact that sometimes like this week, we're in a letter, mm -hmm. but he chose to use a educational device called a metaphor mm -hmm. in this particular section yeah. you're in the mode of like pretty literal like pretty direct communication and then he jump jumps into a, a slight different genre mm -hmm. in the so, middle of a, of a larger genre so the beauty if you're a follower of jesus of taking a book in the bible and saying i know what genre it's part of is it actually enables you to take any part of the bible and get something from it Whereas if all you can rely on is, I want the parts where it gives me an action to do, then you end up skipping over huge chunks. Yeah. Like, like, like almost, if, if that's the only thing you want, almost no narrative section actually matters. Yeah. And the ch chances are the, the risk of misinterpreting and actually damaging what the scriptures intend goes up yes. the less careful you are with the genre of the text. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 the one one of my favorite sentences in a book I read recently is like to take narrative as an example. Um the way you learn from narrative is you know that uh, a study of the character's character produces character. Um and All I right, just slow that down. A study again, of it's too good. A study of the character's character produces character that's so good um so, so so suddenly like we get to wrestle with our knowledge of this whole book of 66 books and we get to read david's life and we get to say huh i'm reading about david I i'm uncertain to start with am i supposed to act like david am i not supposed to act like david when david acts a particular way and it turns out good is that because his actions were good and I should copy them? Or because God was good in spite of his actions? When, when David acts when in a good way and everything turns out badly, does that mean it was the right? We get to have all of these fascinating conversations. And, and fascinatingly to me, that extends beyond the Bible. Mm -hmm. Almost anything you read narratively can produce character when you realize you get to read this Bible that has all these ethical imperatives, all of these commands, and you get to see all of these fictional characters live them out. And you get to see when they go good and when they go bad and, and when their actions that are good lead to bad things, when their actions that are good lead to good things, when all of these different elements. So I, I, another really helpful concept when it, came, when it comes to understanding what the Bible actually means or what we would call biblical interpretation for me, was was another phrase that I I can't remember. I think it might have been um, from the Bema Project, uh, where he defined the scriptures as meditative literature. Ooh, and I think that that was helpful for me because if you unpack that, the point of the text is not 
is often found in the complexity, in the obscurity, yeah. in the seeming contradictions, in the confusion about whether I'm supposed to act like the character or not act like the character. Does God endorse this or not endorse this? How does this connect with this over here? The text is actually supposed to slow you down enough mm -hmm. to start to draw connections and lines and dots to other parts of the scriptures and and meditate on the character's character. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and so if you run into a text where you're like, I just don't get it, good yes that means totally. it's yeah, yeah, working yeah. and there's this fun story like in terms of like like some sometimes and maybe this frees you up if you're maybe new to following jesus or, or you followed him with with certain expectations or parameters um we tend to think a goal is to to take a text and have no questions about it that that's inherently somewhere in in our, our psyche what reading it literally literally means i've read a text I'm taking everything that text says and I'm going to do it. And I've done my job. Like, that's what God wants from me. Um, and, and there's this wonderful story about this, this, this Jewish rabbi who has these three students and he gives them a text and he says, I want you to go away and come back with questions about it. And the first student comes back and says, oh yeah, I have five questions or things that I didn't understand about this text. And the second student comes back and says, well, I only had four questions that I didn't understand. Or, or like wasn't sure about this text. And the, the third student comes back and says, well, I only have two questions. Like I'm the best student. I'm going to be the favorite. And the rabbi looks at them and he says, how dare you insult the word of God? I have 96 questions and things that I'm asking about this text that I'm uncertain of and wrestling with and all those different things. Yeah, they came from this modern so framework good. of, I'm going to not ask questions. Um, and the magic of this text is that it's dialogical. It's like it's a conversation. It talks to you and you talk back to it. And it's it's yeah, you're supposed to slow down and sink into it and get frustrated with mm -hmm, it and then yeah. pull back and then be changed by it and on and on and on and on. So and when meditative. Yeah. So when you I take it just beautifully and literally, like what do you do with Psalm 137 verse nine? Happy is those who take your little ones and smash them against the rocks. Like, well, I want me some happiness, man. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that, oh. that, when you read that and just say, that's a text that's, that's endorsing an action, like that would lead us to a bunch of horrific places. Yeah. And has in history led to a, but maybe not that specific text, but, but has in history led to some horrific I places. I love your story about the rabbi because it actually reminds me of probably the most helpful class I ever took on biblical interpretation my first year in Bible college, it wasn't even a super academic Bible college at all. I went my first year. I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. It was you know, it was good. It was helpful and all those sorts of things. But probably the most helpful assignment I ever received was almost the same thing. Mm. We read a passage, and the, the teacher said, "Go back, and your job this week is to ask thirty questions yes. of these two verses." Yeah, and. The first time doing that assignment, I went back and I'm like, after five questions, I'm like, what time of day was it? Yeah. What color sandals was he wearing? <laughs> Were, like, was he wearing sandals or not wearing? Like, yeah. I was like, 30 questions? You've got to be kidding me. By the end of the semester, I was like, how do you limit it to 30? Yes. Because like you you're get so, so good at asking. You questions. get so much better at asking questions of the text and be letting the text invade your your mm -hmm. soul space and then 
and then challenging it back. And then, well, what about this cultural issue and that cultural issue? And like, why did he say it this way? Why was it that tone of voice? Why did that person say it instead of this mm -hmm. person? And on and on and on. And that one assignment has probably served me more in biblical interpretation than any assignment yeah. that I've ever done in my biblical So maybe a fun, like if you've never done it before, maybe a fun um, and you're listening and you're like, I love reading the Bible. Maybe a fun thing is to, is to just play with some of those things, pick a verse and just just question it, just push against it and, and see where it pushes against you. Because one of the things I loved becoming comfortable with was that there were things the Bible might say that I didn't want it to say. So, so to be able to read the, the book and, and instead of feeling guilty that I felt different to how God maybe felt, at least in my understanding, to be able to have that freedom to say, no, I don't want you to say that. I don't want that to be there. Uh, that, that somewhere that reflects my own sense of identity, my own sense of wanting to get to choose, wanting freedom mm. or wanting stuff that I want. It just being freed up to say, yeah, there, there is a uh, there is a need to read it and be willing to be angry at it and to push against it. I, I found an example just this morning yeah. in my reading with some guys. Um, in Isaiah 43, there's this, and it's not angry. It's just sort of like, okay. And actually, I've learned over the years reading the Bible enough Usually when there seems to be a conflict, a an error, a something that's said really weird, mm -hmm. that's usually like this, ooh, spend some time here, because that's usually where the good stuff is. Mm -hmm. If Or if it's frustrating, confusing, like this particular one is in Isaiah, and he basically says, you know, you know in the past that God parted the seas and he did all this stuff, and that's how we know he's faithful, right? Mm -hmm. We should forget about the past. Mm -hmm. And you're like, What's your line of logic? Yeah. <laughs> like, you used, you just used the past as evidence for the goodness of God, and then said, "Forget, forget the about the past. Forget yeah, the yeah. former things. We're moving on from that." And you're like, "You're not allowed to do that." And then he does it like three times in that chapter, and I'm like, "I've got to spend more time here because I don't get why in the world mm. would the prophet use this like past uh, faithfulness evidence and then can." consistently say stop thinking about that i'm like i don't get it and and that that's why like taking passages and 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 as well as being willing to push back on them as well as being willing to question them bringing them up into like this grand story of, of scripture just changes how we might read them so a, a, an example i love is the whole book of hosea so one yeah, like gosh. just super scary text in some ways. Oh yeah, totally. Like, like it's a very uncomfortable text. Yeah. A, yeah. God you, you says story. Okay. to a man, go and marry a woman you know will be unfaithful. And isn't she already a prostitute when she... When I don't he... think she is at that point. Okay. No, I think... Later. But when he says go marry an unfaithful woman, I guess maybe that's an interpretation. But But yeah. ultimately, like this was always part of the plan. Go marry this woman. And then when she runs off with someone else take her back. And then when she does it again, take her back. And, 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 and the whole story is like a drama on earth playing out this relationship between God and the whole nation. I mean, it's, it's, it's so evocative. And, and, and within that passage, there are multiple parts where God, where God says, now, now reject or now don't take her back. Like now she's going to pay the consequences for what she's done. 
Um, and, and, and in that language, the same language is directed at Israel. I'm going to bring judgment on Israel. They have sowed the wind and they're going to reap the whirlwind. And like, this is the language that it uses. And then right at the end, it gets to this point where God's like, I can't stay mad at you. I, I, I can't. I can't love like, is just too strong. It it's just, a beautiful love it, story. It is. And, and the, the, ways, the yeah. famous book, Redeeming Love, that I think they turned into a movie, was all based on that drama playing out. Um, and so, so you read Hosea and you read the passages of judgment and, and the temptation might be to say, look, God is judgmentful. Judgmental. Judgmental. Uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 and he desires vengeance and he will have vengeance and all of these different things. And you take all of that and say, look, see, this is who God is. But if you miss the end where he's like, but I can't like, like, it's almost like he stops mid sentence. It's real. it really is that like clinical like he's he's yelling he's stamping he's like an angry father and then he's like but but my love is too deep yeah i can't i can't how can i stay mad at you i think is the literal language that it uses yeah, or like the whole book of isaiah feels somewhat similar uh -huh. it's like judgment you guys are off the rails you you haven't done this right you haven't done this right you haven't done this right and i'm going to judge this group and this group and this group and by the way the people who are using to judge them i'm going to judge them too and yes. judge, 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 judge. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. in isaiah 40 there's this beautiful moment where the judgment and he says you've already paid you've paid twice for your sins mm -hmm. comfort comfort my people and he says i if there's rumors going around that I've given up on this project of being your God uh -huh. and you being my people, shut that rumor yeah, up. Yeah, rumor yeah. up. Yeah. Comfort my people. And then there's this massive pivot in the book. And yeah, if you missed the end of the story, mm -hmm. you get this very intense perspective of what God's mm -hmm. like. Meanwhile, he's actually doing this beautiful pr plan of redemption for this, these people. Um, yeah, so proof texting is a very dangerous thing where you say, like, what's God like? Just go read one verse in the Old Testament. You get an impression of what he's Absolutely, like. Absolutely, yes. And that's yeah. pretty dangerous. So so it's uh, yeah, when you can get into this idea that scripture is story um, and that story is is something we're actually living in. And incredibly, in this story, the, the writer of the story steps into his own story and lives a character in it. It's a story that has a director that is God that also has a character that is also God. Um, that that he's so committed to that story, he'll step in to, to act within it. Those are really compelling things. And when you can capture that heartbeat of the text, instead of just reading a static list of commands of how to act, you're actually participating in this grand story, which I think is is maybe what the Bible is trying to do as a whole. It's trying to pull us into this story. So let me ask this. what What is it about humanity that it seems like we, we and myself included, we sometimes we just want the answer. Like, what am I supposed to do? Mm. Like, I've got this tricky situation in my life or relationship or is this action sin or isn't it sin? I just, mm. I want to stop doing if it is or do it if I if it's fine. And we just want this, like, why, does it have to be so complicated? Why why did God do it that and way? And the answer seems like it does have to be that complicated. Is it possible to have uncomplicated relationships? <laughs> That's a great. Like, if if you guys can answer that question out there, I think so. But they're this deep, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that's significant fair. Yeah. relationships. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, you can have an uncomplicated relationship with a guy you ran into for coffee. Yeah. But but almost any relationship is fraught with what are your needs? What are my needs? What are your expectations? What are my expectations? What are your priorities? What are my priorities? All of those different things. Like they all require back and forth and dialogue and all those different things. And like, have you ever, like as far as the, the scriptures being a, a tool that God has given to help his people transform further into his image be restored from the brokenness of the world um it's 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 an educational process and it's Mm. a tool that uses process sequence and scope for educational terms yes um to help nurture people into a better place have you ever had anyone just walk up to you without any relationship and say you know what you should do you should do this and you're like i have been transformed (laughs) I am now healed forever. Yeah, now that you it's, now that you total stranger walked up and gave me the answer of what I should do, I will never ever do the wrong thing it's again. It's probably the reason. It's probably the reason <laughs> that social media is such a good tool for bringing instruction into strangers' lives. Like it's like it's so helpful. Just, right? just like I'm just like as soon as a guy on social media says to me, "You do you're doing this wrong." change i'm like i'm in like i'm in <laughs> it's you so easy um, why didn't i think of uh, that i should just not be a bad person i just need a bunch of strangers to tell me what to do um <laughs> and the, so, the bible kind of approaches education in that way it's like no i'm going to nurture and build relationship and then nurture and then build relationship with you through yeah. the text so so that that is but isn't that a fascinating like aspect of of the bible on this broader level someone said to me once do you think that the Bible is divine thoughts about humans or human thoughts about the divine? Oh, that's a good question. Like, is it, yeah, is it, is it God's thoughts about man or man's thoughts about God? Uh, and and it seems like it's both. Yeah, I would um, It seems like it's a conversation. And, and I think we tend to think of the authors, even if we don't really know who they are, as people that lived a very different conversation with God than we live. And yet, eh, that might be true for some of them to a degree. But all of them have these moments where they're like, I feel like I'm seeing through a, a glass darkly. Yeah. Um, like we picture, and, and that, that movie, The Chosen, does this brilliantly. That Sorry, TV series, The Chosen, there's a, there's a flashback scene to Moses, who's been told by God to build a bronze serpent um, and show it to the people and it will heal them. Given that this is a group of people who've been told don't build idols and, and all of these different things, uh, and there's this image of God hammering, of Moses hammering away on this serpent, uh, and, and uh, I think maybe Aaron or Joshua come to him and they're like, what are you doing? And, and he's like... to build an idol. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, I don't know but I've just got to do what he told me to do. Like, like you see the fraughtness of like, this is what I think I heard. So I'm here hammering away at a serpent and it's hot and people are dying and everything seems like it's going wrong. And somewhere I'm, I'm being told like, hold this serpent up and everything's going to be fixed. But there's got to be a huge part of him that wants to run around like, I don't know, trying to apply anti-venom to limbs or to kill snakes or whatever or all those different things and yet simply he's the guy in dialogue with god saying i'm, I'm here hammering away at a serpent yeah. uh, because somewhere i feel what i've heard is hold this up and everything's going to be fine like like that isn't that how we feel 
often. We picture a, a voice from God just saying, yeah, build a serpent. And Moses is like, building a serpent, totally easy. It's not. It's complex. It's messy. And it's always been complex and messy. So I have another question. We'll go a little bit more. Uh, some, uh, You're getting some theological terminology this week in the episode. I uh, hope that's okay. Um, I've I've wondered, the more I've spent with the script, time with the scriptures, I've wondered whether there's this doctrine that sort of came around the Reformation called the perspicuity of scripture. Mm. And so what that means, if you've ever uh, heard that term, I, I don't know, but the perspicuity of scripture is basically the, um, the accessibleness of interpretation to the masses. Mm. Like anyone can pick this mm-hmm. book up and understand it. Yeah. And so there's like this this push towards, you know, you know, at the Reformation that we get the scriptures into the hands of everybody. Yeah. And anyone can interpret yeah, yeah, yeah. it for themselves. Yeah. And this this doctrine of the perspicuity of scripture was sort of part of what was going on. It there. was like a reaction to the Catholic Church where the Bible was literally chained to the front of the church. Yes, and only one person's allowed to interpret this. Uh-huh, yeah. And that's the whoever's, you know. Well, and only like five people could read it anyway because yeah. it's in Latin. <laughs> yeah. It was like, like yes. just so, so if you're so, an everyday person, you just couldn't read it or understand it. So the question I've had, one I've wondered in years, in the recent years, is is that actually a dangerous doctrine? Ha, has that caused more damage to just... Because this text, this is not, um, this is not level fifth grade reading this is an eighth grade reading this is advanced reading so 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 i I, want to say it's both because that's easy um so so someone once said about the gospel of john right it's it's the biography of uh that john one of jesus followers writes of jesus it's like so simple you can understand it in like a 20 minute read like in 20 minutes of the first few chapters you've got the heartbeat so complex you can study it for the rest of your life and still just be scratching the surface yeah so 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 on one hand like that feels like that's true of everything within the bible to to me the whole like anyone can read it like one it feels like a pendulum swing it's gone from all the way over here to like nobody understands it except one guy and a few people can read it but they aren't allowed to talk about it to a swing all the way back no anybody can do this it's going to balance out I think the loss of it is this, and all movements have pluses and and downsides. The early church seems to flourish on learning for individual followers of Jesus to learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit that would guide them. Um, and, And as soon as there's a text that you just read that, that can start to disappear a little bit. Um, Now the- I don't know. I might actually venture to say both were happening in the early church. They learned to listen to the voice of the spirit, but there was also a renaissance of education in the early church. But but most Even of the Paul text that we have didn't really exist. No, I know, but I'm but I'm saying like there was there's like this the the church historically starting with the early church was both trying to figure out how to listen to the actual voice of God because of the spirit indwelling and trying to become increasingly literate. One of the driving forces was for literacy in the world yes. has been the, Christ- Absolutely, the Christianity. Yeah. Um, and that started before the Reformation when the text was, because these these weren't as nailed down um, at the, 
early church yeah. season. It, it, yeah, and it probably died a little bit in the Dark Ages, but there is a yeah. constant movement of like, yes, it's a good thing to be able to read it, sir. Yeah, totally. The, the church was interested in education. But but I do think that the one of the things I have found difficult, and this is an American church thing to a degree, is, is that... You can be bibliocentric, which is this famous author in England, Dave Bebbington. He, and we're going to get super nerdy here. He came up with what was called the the Bebbington quadrilateral. Like, what are four things that evangelicals are passionate about? So they're they're bibliocentric, they're cruciocentric, they are activistic, and they are conversion. Based. So, is this in contrast with the West, the uh, with the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Yes, yes, it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, so, so. Hey, we're getting into epistemology. Yeah, we're we're, all, we're into all these things. All like, right. we're, there's like five nerds that are tracking <laughs> with us now. Um, our goal is to bring nerds and geeks together. <laughs> <laughs> so, so broadly speaking, the evangelical church has been interested in the Bible, the cross as uh, as an atonement, um, doing good works in the community. And people need to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. Like that's been a drive of the evangelical church. And so just I threw out the word epistemology. That's a the study of the theory of knowledge. How do we know what is true? Mm-hmm. And so for an evangelical, which we would fall into as South Fellowship Church, this is one of the frameworks of you use these this frame these are the things that we're referencing to determine what yes. is true or not. Yeah, okay. yeah. So 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 what has happened, I would suggest, to the American evangelical church is that it's driven towards the quadrant of bibliocentric at the cost of everything else. Like, that is the thing, and that's why you read a statement of faith, um, and number one, it will say, we believe in the Bible. And, and so to me, moving over here, I'd never seen that before. I was like, number one, the Bible? Like, well, where did that come from? Like, it's it's not like... In the beginning, there was a I can a feel book. a lot of Americans getting nervous yeah, which right is now fine. while you're talking. Yeah, which is fine. Like, because it because yeah. it should. Like, it's a good conversation. Like, like it. So 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 that like feels like on one hand it's a high view of scripture, but my suspicion is it's actually just a low view of Jesus. Like like it it, it actually like when you place the book and say that's the pinnacle, like Jesus didn't die to bring us the book. The book is a beautiful reflection of that grand story and what it all means and can it be reliable and even those words like inspired and inerrant without ever becoming the center of faith. Absolutely, but I have this suspicion for lots of people it's become the center of faith. Yeah, I remember in Bible college and when I got to Moody Bible Institute, one of the classes that wrecked a lot of students was bibliology. Mm. Because in bibliology, you start to study the origins of the canon. So how did the books of the Bible become part of the Bible? How did they determine that? Mm -hmm. And I think subconsciously, a lot of maybe mostly American Jesus followers got this impression that they didn't know where it came from, but they maybe had this idea that it literally floated from the heavens <laughs> and like landed on a doorstep somewhere. I love somewhere. that image. It's just like, like a it's feather. Like, like, and then so when they find out that there's like people who disagreed on uh-huh. the canon and then shed their own blood yeah. because of it and then somehow a, 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 there was a general 
quasi general consensus around the the current canon uh-huh. of scripture, and that other people strongly disagreed and then died for it. And oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah. People's what? faith was like yeah. wrecked. And, and then ruined. a thousand years later, Martin Luther's like, "Nope, you were wrong about this. That shouldn't even be." <laughs> I know. Like it just like that tension. And is... the Catholic Church still has the apocrypha, uh-huh. and so like that freaked people out. And be and I think part of the reason I I'm just affirming what you said. Part of the reason was. Their faith was in Holy Bible, yeah. yeah, not in Jesus. And that's the joke that people use, right? It's like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Yeah, um, like it, <laughs> it just that—that's that's the tension we walk, and and that's not supposed to. So, if you heard in that the Bible is not good and bad and inspired, that's that's not what I'm saying or we're saying. At no, all. no, in fact, it, I, I would even say I I feel more in passionate about the Bible than ever mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. But only because it gives me access to the person of Jesus. Yeah. But but that that yeah. like that that reductionist framework or hermeneutic of this is the word of God is fine so long as you know what you mean by that. So so let me give you a concrete example of that. There's this wonderful book Job which is all about suffering. And a yeah. huge chunk of Job is after he's poured out his heartache and all these different things. All these bad things have happened to him. He has three friends that come alongside him and they give him advice for most of the book. It's three of them like giving him long lectures about this is why this has happened, all of these different things. Um, If the whole book is the word of God in the sense of it's stuff you can read and say this is correct, then then you've got all of these three followers, these three friends that have spoken, 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 spoken. And then towards the end of the book, God enters the book himself as a character and says, they have not spoken of me correctly. His his critique of them is everything that they have said is wrong. So what do you do with those speeches then now? Yes, word of God on a corporate sense of the the book can have been pulled together and you can believe that God is behind that as I do. Just God's a really bad writer and he's really inefficient. He rambles Uh in his word for chapters and chapters that's all wrong, false, evil, incorrect. And then, oh, then he gets his act together and he starts saying the right thing. Absolutely. That's the only other option. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So, so, So really you have to be so comfortable saying, I can read everything that these three guys say, knowing that God himself has critiqued it and said it's part of the faithful witness of scripture. It's part of like this this thing that's telling God's story. Beautiful thing that it is. Um, it's not something you can just pull out and say, this is true about God because he specifically says that it isn't. And that's the complexity of scripture. It's willingness to critique itself. We have a text where it, it, it says that that God says to a whole group of people, do this, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Um, and then Jesus comes along and says, you've heard this said by who? Who was it said by? It was said by God. And Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm telling you something different. Like that, there's almost no religious text that can handle that temptation, that te- that that sort of and that struggle, and just 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 to point out the like irony or the the interesting nature of this, it's no wonder Jesus was absolutely was like if you think of these Pharisees and Sadducees as like the theologians of the day, this this guy comes on the scene and starts to threaten the scriptures. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And they stand up for the scriptures. Absolutely. They're like, right that on would do track. What we would do. So the reason Jesus dies is because he keeps, th- like, at least in their minds, I'll, I'll put it that way, in their minds, he is contradicting the word of God. It's no wonder they try to it's kill like, him. It's like Andy Stanley used this great example, like, maybe a couple of years ago. He said, it's like if, if Billy Graham on an Easter Sunday had stood up and said, do you know what? I know we've talked about Jesus on Easter for a couple of millennia now, but actually Easter's really all about me. Um, and so now for, for next Easter, just so you know what's coming down the pike, next Easter we're going to do a big celebration about Billy Graham, and, and I'm really the centerpiece now. Like, that's what Jesus does. The scriptures point to me. Yeah, we're so hard on the Pharisees and Sadducees, <laughs> and I'm like, gosh. I would I have probably, been freaking out. I probably would have been them. <laughs> Because the, he, Jesus really messes with the religious system totally. of the day, and we're really comfortable with it because we have a thousand years, mm-hmm. thousands of years removed from it, and we're like, oh, I know what he was up to. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But put yourself in the story, and you're like, oh, man, how would I? So it's the same as the example of, of the, the confessing church in Germany, right? Like almost everyone oh, says, yeah. oh, yeah, if I'd have been there when the Nazis were on the scene. Uh, I'd have been making sure that, you know, I was part of the confessing church. I'd have been dying for my faith. Well, 97% of followers in Germany won. So so, so if we put 10 of us in a room, there's like 0.3 of us that, that lands in the good side. Um, by nature, we follow follow the crowd. Um, and so the, the, there is this joy mm. in reading this whole faithful witness of God's story. But knowing what you're reading and how to read it, there's a complexity to that. So to go back to your specific point, can anyone understand it? Yeah, that was what I was going to ask. Uh, yeah. and we, we were going on 50 minutes, which I think is fine for this for subject. This f- um, <laughs> we can do 50 we're, hours we, 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 we on this subject. We tried to cover epistemology. We yeah. tried to cover the quadrilateral. We tried to cover the entire interpretive uh, uh, approach to the scriptures. But um, yeah, how? so maybe someone's out there, they're like, well, great. Now I don't know what in the world I'm reading anymore. Should yeah. I stop reading and, my Bible? And actually, there's, there's a couple of really great simple books out there. Uh, there's one called How to Read the Bible. I'm blanking on the author's name right now. Um, there's another one called The Bible in 30 Days that just give a tap into some of these like bigger arguments on a very easy level. Um, N.T. Wright did this beautiful series where he would take books and, and he would write them under Tom Wright. That's how you know, like with this, this hero of a theologian like that, that if you've never read any of his stuff, um, then then you may never have heard of him, I guess. But but I followed him down the stairs at a conference once and like I gained wisdom just by staring at his bald head on the stairwell. It just like <laughs> some aura just like just Yeah, just I got to meet him too. He's moving my great... way. Um but but when he writes NT right as the title, it's the academic stuff. When he writes Tom Wright, it's the low key, like anyone can ex- yeah. access this. He's wrote a, a bunch of like beautiful things, like John for Everyone, uh, he, Romans he's just for Everyone. Finished his commentary in the, I think it's the entire New Testament. It's okay. called, uh, it's something for everyone. Yeah. the Bible for everybody. Um, but but you, yeah, he's a guy that just is, is a wonderful guide into some basics of okay, this is how I can read and learn and and go a little bit deeper than. I'm I'm not sure what I'm reading or why I'm reading it. Um, the, the beautiful thing is there's language in the New Testament that supports the idea. You, you you have no one to teach you, need of anyone to teach you, is something Paul says to to one of the churches um, 
You know, the spirit will teach you. That that's important. No, Jesus actually, Jesus says it right. Like Jesus yeah. says it to his first followers. Like that, there is this beautiful truth that God speaks, and I have known people come to know Jesus in prison cells with nothing but a uh, John's gospel in their hand. Like yeah. the, like the, there's a way that the Bible can be transformative with no in-depth reading, and yet there is a way that you can grow through knowing what you're reading. Yes. Um, so so I don't think it has to be either or. I and going back to that term that I referenced, it's it's supposed to be meditative literature. In other words, it's supposed to be this 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 treasure trove of goodness and beauty and and transformation that you you meditate on for a mm -hmm. lifetime. And so, like, just deciding, like, if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually grow in this mm -hmm. and become a better bet and better and better and yes. better handler of the scriptures over the years and i'm going to look up some nt write tools or read a book mm -hmm. occasionally about this subject or when i run into a a passage that just doesn't make sense with me i'm gonna i'm just gonna say okay i'm gonna meditate on this i'm gonna mm -hmm. read it every day for a month and see if the spirit of god will communicate like this is just a commitment we make as followers of jesus who to like continue to meditate and and it is joyful in its ability to to lead you closer into the way and life of Jesus. And so I'm gonna point. I'm gonna quick tie this back into your sermon. Oh yeah, Sunday. yeah, I love it because in a in just a second story, here we have this uh, this passage, um, and it's tiny on my screen because I yeah adjusted things, but he he actually says at the beginning of this text, I wanted to speak with you mm -hmm. at this level mm -hmm. but i couldn't yeah because you were too infantile mm -hmm. essentially so um there's i think this truth in this passage that you you preached on sunday first corinthians three in that yeah like verse section, one two three what is it one of the things that uh, prevented them was a, or was a sign of their immaturity was their hyper focus on this person's teaching uh -huh. and that person's teaching or this person the, the divisiveness of like my theological persuasion and this mm -hmm. person's theological persuasion he says oh if you're if you're wrapped up in that then you're not mature enough mm -hmm. to be handling the truth yeah yeah and so if that's where you are and you've got like your favorite teacher mm -hmm. and you're obsessed with, I only listen to this person. And if they say it, then I know, just be aware that might actually be a warning sign to you that you aren't engaging the deeper things that Paul's trying to get at for this church. Oh, totally. And, and, and the, the hard part is, and, and this isn't to, to push small church over big church or any of those things. There is a danger to following people whose character you don't know. Like that, yes. like that, like it's so easy to do that, right? You hear a person speaking, you're like, that's truly compelling. And I have people I listen to speaking, oh, like, oh totally. that was wonderful. Uh, and then I know people that are close to them. Uh, and character wise, I start to hear the stories of like, yeah, but this is what it's like to be around them. Jesus sim somehow incredibly couples this incredible character with this incredible teaching um totally. which is what makes him distinct um and so i'm yeah i'm not saying you don't learn from certain people and i have my nt rights one mm -hmm. of them dallas willard's one of them the, these people who've done a wonderful job of shepherding me over the years through books and reading from afar um 
But uh, if you get overly dogmatic into one line of thought and like I am a, you know, name your theological frameworks, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. this, 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 and these are my theological frameworks and no one's going to convince me otherwise. And I only find, uh, like I read the Bible to just find and mm-hmm. prove my point. That's probably, according to Paul in this text, that's probably a sign of actually immaturity. Mm-hmm. The certainty yeah. of that is probably actually a sign of immaturity in Paul's mind, not maturity. And I think one one final thing on that is I think the beautiful invitation that Paul has for us is read the Bible to grow more like Jesus, yes. not read the Bible to learn more stuff. Um, like the, there's nothing wrong with the learning, but the character formation seems to be at its heart what Jesus is most interested in for us. Which is, a, yeah, yeah, totally. And that's that's his pushback on some of his disciples at different points. Like when people yeah. when, when, when people have the heartbeat, he's like, that's what I'm looking for. Um, like that's, that's the heart. Like not the knowledge, the heart is the thing. And, and yeah. Totally like the woman at the well. Yeah, And, and she's like, tries to go into the theological space and he's like, yeah, no, 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 no. No, 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 I'm no. looking for people who worship in spirit yeah. and the truth. Well, that well, was a fun, fun Corinthians conversation. Yeah, uh, if you could, if you tracked with that, great job. <laughs> we were all over the place. Um, but oh man, I love. We love talking about the Bible because it is this meditative literature, and it like is it's almost like this constant invitation to keep going deeper. Yeah, love it. Is. it. I love it. Have all a great right. week, everyone. Bye. See you later. Bye. Let's see if I can sh- figure out how to shut this off now, <laughs> since I couldn't turn it on. <laughs> Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.